Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Unleashing the Kingdom, usually with Susan DeBru. But today, I am your usually co-host, Steve Pixler, who is now hosting an episode all by myself. Makes me want to sing Celine Dion. But I will not torture you with that. However, Susan has requested that I do an episode all alone just to share a little bit of my stories, some that we've talked about along the way, but maybe I want to kind of pull it all into one episode and share a little bit of my experience as a man, as a man's man, (laughs) as a pastor, as a father, as just a guy trying to get through this life, facing all the ups and downs and challenges and ins and outs of everyday life. I'm going to talk to you about unleashing the kingdom from my perspective, from where I'm coming from in this business of helping bring genuine equality into the world and unleash the kingdom. You guys want to talk about it? Well, I hope so, because that's what we're going to do. Ready or not, here we come. If you've followed any of these episodes that we've done in Unleashing the Kingdom, you know that I am the co-host of Unleashing the Kingdom, which is the podcast that Gregory and Susan's ministry, which is Kingdom Brewing, kingdombrewing.com, by the way, it is the ministry that, or the podcast that their ministry sponsors. Unleashing the Kingdom is built around a series of books that Susan has published through Kingdom Brewing and that I had the privilege to be a ghostwriter on. And so, and, and we've jokingly said, I'm the Holy Ghost writer, because we got, of course, make everything supernatural, you know. But I've enjoyed very much being a part of the process of developing the books and just really helping release this, um, not just this information, but this revelation into the world. It's really been a lot of fun to, to jump in on that and help make that happen. You may, maybe you can tell here, you might can even hear a little bit of the echo in the room. I'm recording this in the lobby of our church, Freedom Life Church in Mansfield. And uh, Susan's studio is in transition. We're working on getting that set up in a new location. So I'm coming kind of in the middle here, sort of in a, a segue episode between some of the content that we've already covered and some of the stuff we're going to be covering in the future. But I want to just jump right in the middle and sort of add my two cents. With inflation these days, it might even be a nickel. <laughs> Oh, Lord, don't get me talking politics. We don't want to start that. We want to, we want to keep kingdom focus, kingdom focus, which, of course, includes politics. But I'm still not going to be tempted into making any commentary on financial policy and inflation in Biden's America. I'll let you guys sort all that out. Regardless, I want to put in my two cents worth about this whole idea of equality between men and women and how it actually does unleash the kingdom in the world. We're not joking when we say that we really do believe that God's purpose in the earth is directly tied to the equality of men and women, and not just equality of men and women, but also the the elevation or the lifting up of all oppressed people in the world. We believe that reconciliation between men and women, reconciliation between the generations, between parents and children, between the old and the young, Reconciliation between the races, reconciliation between the classes, reconciliation in, in all forms, all across all the, the spectrum of life, that that is actually how the kingdom comes. We're really not joking when we say we believe that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation 
and that the whole scope of reconciliation and the broad spectrum that it covers actually begins with the family. We're very serious when we say we're not just being dramatic for the purpose of selling books or trying to prove a point. We really are serious when we say that we believe that until reconciliation takes root at home, it's going to be difficult to see it take root anywhere else. I personally believe this is why Paul emphasizes in Ephesians chapter 5 how that the mystery of Christ in the church is really worked out in the world through the relationship of husband and wife, of male and female, of father and mother. And he talks through all of that in Ephesians 5, and he lets us know that there's something much bigger at stake than just the quality of life for mom and dad, just trying to, you know, improve family life and make things better for the children. We certainly want all of that, but there's more at stake than just improving the quality of life. It really is about the mystery of God, which is the reconciliation of Jew, Gentile, slave, and free, male and female, all of those that he goes down to the list, Greek and barbarian. It really is the mystery of God being worked out in the oneness of humanity that is achieved when humanity comes into oneness with God, who exists, of course, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the oneness and the union of relationship within the Trinity. So understanding that and understanding the key work that's being worked out in our relationships. In other words, our relationships impact much more than just our personal sphere, just our own world. It actually has an impact on the whole world. It's a ripple effect. When we begin to see the kingdom come in the home, in the family, the hearts of the fathers being reconciled are are turned back to the children and the children to the fathers, as he promised in Malachi. When that spirit of Elijah really begins to bring the reconciliation of the generations and that reconciliation begins to take root within the family between husband and wife, parents and children, and that begins to work out in the world, we will see genuine transformation. This is huge because we can try to impose change uh, from education, from the school systems, from the universities. We can try to impose change politically, economically. We can try to impose change medically. We can try to impose change in all these different ways. And God knows we need to be working at the transformation of society on every level. But until it takes root in the home, it's going to be difficult for that change to really take root throughout the rest of society. So when we talk about the unity of men and women and men and women being brought into equality, we really are talking about fundamental change that begins at home and then begins to work its way out in the world. Now, this is a big deal to me because I am a kingdom herald. That is my assignment in the world. The reason I was born, the reason I was created, crafted by the Father's hands, the reason why I was knit together in my mother's womb, as Psalm 137 says, the reason why God put me on the earth is he raised me up to make me a voice for his kingdom. My particular assignment in the world, no matter what else I do as a husband, a father, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a pastor, as anything else I do in the world, it all funnels back to this one fundamental assignment that I have been given, which is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. 
and to do so in such a way that the influencers of the world, people who have influence within every metron and sphere of society, people who have influence within business, within education, within, uh, within medicine, within science, within technology, within transportation, within being a homemaker, you fill in the blank of whatever area of life. My job is to preach the gospel of the kingdom with such revelation and with such power that it brings that revelation of the kingdom into the real world by penetrating the hearts of hearers and by allowing them to hear the gospel of the kingdom preached in such a way that they are transformed and then they carry that transformation out into the world. They become transformers. My life's message is changed people change the world. And my assignment is to preach that change into the hearts of people across all, all spectra. Is that the way to say that? Across all the, the spectrum of society. So the reason I'm so passionate about this, this message of unleashing the kingdom is because the kingdom is my life message. And while it, it didn't begin and it's still not solely focused on just the reconciliation of men and women, that is one very important aspect of the assignment that I have been given. Now, you may know a little bit about my story if you've, been, if you've been following us on the podcast or watching the YouTube episodes of Unleashing the Kingdom, then you know along the way I've sort of told a little bit of my story. I was raised up in a Pentecostal home. My father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My great, two great-grandfathers were pastors. I have a, a long heritage within the ministry. I was also raised up in an environment where there was a great deal of mixture in how we thought about women in ministry. For example, my great-grandfather, everyone called him Brother Porter, Buck Porter. His name was actually Emmett Simon, E.S. Porter, but everyone called him Buck, or they would call him Brother Porter. My great-grandfather actually believed that women could preach, as they put it back then. They believed in women preachers. They actually believed in 1 Timothy 2 when it says that a woman should not teach nor usurp authority over a man. They actually believed that that meant she couldn't forcibly take authority. They got it right. They actually interpreted that correctly. First Corinthians 14, when it said women should keep silent in the church, they actually believed there's no way that could mean silence in the sense of actual silence. They, they, um, they limited it in different ways. There were some of them that tried to explain it as, well, only when the prophets were speaking in this particular moment, like some of them tried to say that this is when they were actually kind of writing the New Testament and the women were not permitted to speak during that, you know, that particular procedure, which I don't think that's the answer, but they, they, they reached for different ways to explain away women keep silent in the church because they just didn't believe that's what Paul taught. And so they believed that in some way it was a, it meant something else. And so there was all sorts of different creative ways of trying to explain that. My grandfather my great-grandfather's son-in-law, uh, his name was Edmund Pixler, he actually believed, as his father-in-law did, who was his pastor, my great-grandfather, he actually believed that women could preach. He believed in women in the ministry. He believed in women pastors. He believed that women could lead any way men could lead, as long as they didn't forcibly take away authority, which he didn't think anyone should do, a man or a woman. And so my dad, however, when my dad became a Christian, began to follow Jesus, he had been in the Navy, he had not followed the Lord as a young man, he came in in his early 20s, I think he was around 25 or 26 or so when he began to really serve the Lord. And then he began to feel his call to preach, he came into the ministry. He and my mother ended up going to the church that my mother attended as a child growing up, and my dad 
actually began to buy into the idea that this group held that women could not preach. And my dad began to think that the scripture limited women teaching or preaching. So that's what I was raised up in. I'm raised up in an environment where women are not allowed to teach. They're not allowed to preach. Now, we didn't do that in an absolute sense. We did believe that women could teach other women. Paul said, let the elder women teach the younger. So we thought that gave permission. We did believe that the women could teach children. But once once a young man became a man, we thought maybe 12 years old or so, even though some women could teach youth classes, mostly, most of us said in that particular stream I was in, most of us said that women should not be teaching young men, you know, at the age of 12 or older. And so I grew up in that world thinking women could not teach or preach. When I began to to pastor and to teach people, I thought that's what the scripture says. So I began to teach it as well. However, over time, as the Lord began to reshuffle the deck kind of of everything that I believed, the basic doctrines that I had been given as a part of the oneness Pentecostal world I was raised up in, as I began to rethink everything, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of eschatology of end times. I began to rethink the kingdom. The kind of like the kingdom leaven started getting in me and it started re kind of recalibrating everything I believed about everything. And a part of that was women in ministry. And I began to think that my grandfather was right, that First Timothy 2 did not mean that women in an absolute sense could not teach or have authority, but that it meant they couldn't do so in a usurping way, as the King James puts it. Uh, They couldn't do it in an authentic way that, as Susan talks about, authentic, about that way of, of, uh, of usurping power. You can see that in the books, by the way. You need to get them if you don't have them, kingdombrewing.com. You can order all of Susan's books, but in it, particularly in book three, in Lies That Bind, Susan talks about 1 Timothy 2 and how what was actually happening there is, is, is Paul was seeking to prevent the women who had been trained by, by the temple of Artemis to be violent and to try to worship by overthrowing the rule of men. He was seeking to restrain that. And so even though I didn't understand all the details of that years ago when my mind first started shifting on this, I still came to believe early on in my studies, this would have been, oh, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, 10, 12 years ago. I began to think that women could lead, they could preach, but it had to be done in a way where they did not um, violate, you know, in a violent way, the authority structures of the church. And so I was just kind of emerging in my thinking through that. First Corinthians 14, I was really wrestling with what it meant. I was sort of leaning toward believing that it was an interpolation, that it was added later by someone who put you know, words in Paul's mouth, but I wasn't really happy with that because then it felt like I was taking my scissors and cutting out portions of scripture. That always makes me nervous. And so I, I really began to walk my way through trying to understand these scriptures. And so by the time we met Susan and Gregory, I was already fully, fully, had fully embraced the idea that women could lead in any way that a man can and that there is full equality in the kingdom. But I was still sorting through some of the theology of it, actually, when I began to work with Susan and ghostwriting these books about a year, year and a half ago. And so as I began to work my way through this, the books actually helped me begin to answer some of the nagging questions that had kind of been fluttering around like moths, you know, sort of in the back of my mind. And it actually helped me by working through Susan's material. It actually helped me to get more clarity 
on on being able to see biblically how women actually can have full equality with men and they can lead with full equality. So in some sense, I was already there practically. My wife, Gina, is, you know, she's a strong pastor, a strong prophet, has a strong prophetic ministry. And, and what God has released in her over the last three or four years has just been unbelievable. And I have fully empowered her to lead, fully empowered the other women on our lead team to lead. We were already, when we launched our new church four years ago, we were already fully committed to women being completely equal with men. But there were just still some loose ends in my head that needed to be tied up. So let me just say this. This is not just a commercial break. This is actually, I think it's it's very... Uh, for me, it's a very important part of my experience, and I hope it can be for you too. If you have unanswered questions about women in leadership, read Susan's books. Interact with her with her arguments, with her presentation, with her opinions, her ideas. Interact with them. If you feel like there's something where it's like, nah, I'm not sure she got it right there, work with it. Wrestle with it. Get hold of it. Pull on it. Prod it. Poke it. I mean, get into the arguments and deal with them. Because I think what you're going to find is that the material that Susan has prepared actually carries a grace for understanding this issue. There's a unique grace on it. And that if you will dig into it, I think you're going to sense some revelation start flowing through you and some some aha moments are going to begin to happen as you work through. So this is not just, you know, an extended infomercial for Susan's books, but I am an advocate for them because I really do believe having worked as much as anyone has except for her into this material, having been the ghostwriter for it. I had to dig in very deep. I, I pulled on ideas. I tested them. I wanted to see, does that not hold? Does that idea really hold water? And I really believe that she's, that she's got a strong, strong argument that, that really answers the objections for each of the kind of the ban passages, the, you know, the prohibition passages that say women can't lead. So I would really say work your way through that. I think it's going to be a blessing to you. Now, for me then, where I've landed is I've landed that I believe women can operate in full equality with men in every area of ministry. I don't think there's any particular area of ministry that is, you know, reserved exclusively for men. And that, for me, includes the elders of the church. When I began to dig through Susan's material in 1 Timothy 3, which is in book three, Lies That Bind, and she began to work through how the translators interjected masculine male pronouns into the text nine daggum times, as we say in the book. When I begin to read through that, and I really begin to see not only there, but in Romans 16, how translators operating from a male-dominated bias, because that's just how institutional Christianity has been shaped for so long. And when they begin to translate these passages, they bent them toward a masculine bias. And that actually really... It, it frustrated me, but it also, in a sense, it almost exhilarated me. It liberated me. It's like it let me see, oh, I see now why this flavor was on these passages. And it's almost like, you know, you know how when someone will try to do fake, fake smoked meat, you know, they like to do the smoked meat, but it's not really smoked, so they add some smoke flavoring to it. That's kind of what some of those passages feel like once you see what's happening there. You back up and go, oh, that makes sense to me. 1 Corinthians 11 is another big one. As a oneness Pentecostal who came up in a group that believed that women couldn't cut their hair and taught that from 1 Corinthians 11, I spent more time than most in 1 Corinthians 11 studying every single phrase, every word in the original, trying to figure out, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I, I'm a student of Greek, 
and I know enough using certain resources that I can work my way through the lexicons and I can work my way through the definitions. I spent a lot of time digging into 1 Corinthians 11 because I had to resolve for myself whether the Bible actually taught that women had to have uncut hair. To go into Susan's material and realize that this is another example of what she calls the rhetorical method, what many scholars call the rhetorical method, and you understand that Paul is actually quoting a letter that the Corinthians wrote to him. That was another area where I wasn't, when I first started working with Susan's material, I wasn't sure what to think about 1 Corinthians 11. I knew what to think about whether or not a woman could cut her hair. I had solved that in my head a long time ago. And my wife and my daughters several years ago came out of that restriction. And you see them now, their hair is cut and styled. They went and got their hair did. Uh, and so I've been away from that for a long time. But with regard to the question of headship, the question of, 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 a, of an, um, a metaphorical covering, like an authority covering, all of that I was still having to work through. And Susan's material in 1 Corinthians 11 was actually really helpful in that regard. So here again, I'm saying that if you've got questions about this, dig in, jump into the material, dive into the books, follow the podcast, share this with your friends. Now, why am I advocating so hard for this? Again, it's not just because we're trying to sell books. I've seen Susan's generosity. I know she would love to sell a million books. I know she would love to see kingdom resources come in from the sales of this book to be able to fund other kingdom projects. But I can tell you personally, having worked very closely with her, this is not about making money. It's really not about trying to you know, grow the, grow the financial um, income for, this, for these projects. It really is about releasing the revelation. And so I really encourage you to dive in, jump in. Why am I advocating so hard for this? It's because I really do believe the kingdom of God can only come in the world through reconciliation. And that as the kingdom comes in the world, we release the ministry of reconciliation. And I really do believe, as a married man, 28 years, with six children, living out the challenges of actually making a marriage healthy and whole. And that's only done as the people in the marriage get healthy and whole. And having lived out those challenges, I really see a glimmer of hope. Not just a glimmer, in fact. I see a sunrise breaking on the horizon. And I really do believe we have the opportunity now to press our advantage forward and to see the kingdom of God build momentum in the world. And I really do believe that the root of that is going to be you and me seeing the kingdom of God released, unleashed, as it were, in our family life. So to all of the men out there who may see this or any of you women who may be watching it who want to share it with a man that you love, let me say, let me speak to you from a man's perspective. Gentlemen, we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. No, I don't, I'm not talking about Esther either. I'm talking about the Mordecai who makes room for the Esther. It isn't just Esther who's come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You and I are the Mordecais of the world, and it's time for us to stand up and make room for Esther to shine, for Esther to rise into her place. It is time for you and me as men with authority. It's time for us to make room for the kingdom of God to begin to come in the world through the reconciliation of men and women. That's why I'm advocating for unleashing the kingdom. I believe in it. I believe in the message. And I think if you'll read the material, you'll believe in it too. Hey man, it's been fun talking to you. I've enjoyed discussing more about unleashing the kingdom. Join us again when Susan comes back, gets back in her place, leading 
uh, the, the podcast episodes. We've got a lot more material to dig into. Stop by kingdombrewing.com, pick up the books, give them away, share them with someone who needs to hear it. And together, gentle men and gentle women, let us unleash the kingdom together. Many blessings. God bless you all. Thank you.